0: This presentation is from Design Research Twenty Twenty Day One. So, thank you, uh, Karina and Alexandra. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Steve. It's really good to be here. Thank you, Steve.
2: It's great. Um, and I hope you're all relaxed at home. It's getting towards the four o'clock period where you're allowed to kind of open your beer if you want to and relax into it. So yep. we're gonna we're gonna run a. Bit of a fun session. We're going to have some activities. Hopefully, we can do them. We're going to try them out. In the essence, <coughs> in the name of prototyping.
0: So, thanks, Steve. We'll get into it. Thank you. I can Let's see and it. hear you both. Wonderful. Thank
1: you. Great. Fantastic. So, we would firstly like to start by acknowledging um, the traditional owners of the land on which we are both um, sitting at the moment. Me in my kitchen in Melbourne. Um, I'm on the. Um, the traditional owners of my land are the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, and Boon Wurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation, and I'd like to pay their respects to their elders past, present and emerging.
2: And I'm on the um, land of the Gadigal people of the Inora Nation. So it's lovely to be able to be cross, sort of top and middle of parts of the country doing this together today, Alexander and I. It's great. So who are we? <laughs> Um, Karina and Alexandra, we have worked together quite a bit over the last sort of six months and we are both really passionate about prototyping. We love trying things out, um, both in our lives and in our work, so we wanted to share with you today just some of the things that we've learned um, through doing it with different types of organisations, um, um, and, and just also give you a little insight into one of the things that we've prototyped recently to each, um, for me, um, this is my niece here, and she is obsessed by the show Nailed It, and she wanted to know, but she said, you know, all of these cakes and things, people don't want to eat them do there. They're quite disgusting. And I said, well, how about we test it? So she found this recipe that she loved. It was this pretty horrendous coloured rolled meringue thing covered in glitter, edible glitter. She made it and she went around and she tested with family members and the neighbours to see if they would eat it. And about 30% did. And I just love that she's got that kind of openness to experimenting and learning.
1: That's awesome. Um, On the right there is a photo of my dog, Captain. Um, Captain was a prototype because um, my partner, Pete, didn't like dogs and didn't want to have another dog. And so I said, that's fine, we won't have another dog but my friend has a dog that they just need someone to look after sometimes. So I brought Captain in as a prototype for weekends and then for weeks and then for months. And now he's permanently my dog. Um, and that was a prototype with a very distinct aim in mind, but it was also a way of introducing Captain into, into our lives in a way that uh, was was not very dramatic and, and he's now beautiful. Well, he's always beautiful, so I'm very happy we did that slow exposure therapy that's right that's right <laughs> i think the reason we wanted to to say that and to do that was over the last probably five years the way that we are prototyping has changed fundamentally all the things that we are prototyping and maybe even the things that we think about as what a prototype is um, and and what it can do for you is changing. And so we wanted to kind of open that up as a, hey, it's not necessarily what you think it is. So um, that's what we're doing. What we're gonna do today, we're gonna open your minds, open our minds, open everybody's minds to the extraordinary power of prototyping. We wanna shift the mindset about what prototyping actually is, um, explore different ways of prototyping beyond the digital because actually it's the physical prototyping that's much more fun. And we're gonna have a little bit of a chat about ways to measure and evaluate your prototypes as well.
2: So, um, what is prototyping? We looked and looked at the different um, uh, definitions of this and Wikipedia doesn't do a bad job, which is amazing. You know, a prototype is an early sample, a model, or at least a product build uh, to build And uh, we wanna test whether works basically and it's also to be learned from and we love the fact that it's got that learning in there we're going to talk to you a lot about that um this afternoon
1: so i don't mind wikipedia's definition but i have a better one it's a thing you use to provoke a response that's all it is it's a really it's that simple we're trying to provoke a response actually now i want to change this karina because i want to put learn in there there has to be something that provoke a response that you can learn something from. So that's what we're talking about and what we're doing today.
2: So um, how do we use prototyping?
1: Um, Alexander, Do you have something you want to say there? No, 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 I was probably going to say exactly what you're going to say. In case you haven't realised, Green and I work together quite um, intuitively and, um, and flexibly. We haven't actually worked out who's talking to what slides. We just figure we're going to make it up as we go along.
2: Which is a lot easier to do when you're in the room together but anyway we'll see how it goes it's all a test isn't it we're in one big test we're in today um so prototyping how we've traditionally thought about it is that it comes after we have done some idea generation we We get together some ideas, we put them out in the world um, and they might be digital prototypes. We're testing how things are laid out on screen. They might be content and we're testing how do people react to certain words. Um, They might be even physical things um, and trying different handles on kettles and things like that. And really what we're trying to think about it as, as something that if we put it out there, we wanna make sure it's the thing that works. So whether it's the idea that works or these particular aspects of those things work, that's what we're trying to work out. Um, we don't want to make, we don't want to have failures when we put them out in the world. So it's really coming as a way of testing our thinking once our thinking is somewhat formed.
1: However, um, what we, uh, what I was saying about the way we've prototyped in the last few years has changed is we've moved much more into the first diamond. Um, so using prototyping, Um, in an earlier space than necessarily just testing something that you think is the right solution or that might be the right solution. So, um, Lisa Reichelt talked this morning about the question having changed from, can we do customer research to how do we control all of these people doing customer research all of the time with all of the people? Um, And Benjamin also talked about it in his talk about research repositories. That organizations have largely moved on from knowing nothing about customers and not thinking about customers to actually having a whole lot of shit, uh, sorry, knowledge about, <laughs> about what their customers are doing and how things are working for them. And the problem that they have is not having that knowledge, but knowing what to do with it. And so we find ourselves more and more often having to going into an environment where we have got a whole lot of existing knowledge and that's where we need to start from. But we all know that starting from the, hey, we already know this is a bad idea. So we actually bring the prototyping forward and use the prototyping in the first diamond to be a bit hypothesis led, but to actually start from somewhere, put a thing out in the world and then provoke a response that you can learn from. It's a way of blending the, what we already know with the, we do need to, get to the heart of people we we still want to do um you know research and touch with people and understand them it's not just about testing something at the end
2: that's where getting into the prototyping mindset we really believe it's about being open to learning something that you didn't expect to So it's not to say that we've put something in front of you and we're gonna ask you some questions. You're gonna tell us the answers to things that we ask. It's actually being open to say, we've put a provocation out there, but we don't know what we're going to learn from that. We don't know whether it's actually something completely different to actually uh, expected from this experience of actually trying something out with someone. We might learn something completely new about that person. We might learn something completely new about their needs. And we might learn something completely new about the way they go about interacting with an idea or a conceptual model that we've actually put there. And that's what we're trying to do is to say, it's not about focusing on the thing that we're trying to learn from. We're using that thing as a way to learn more about them and their experience and their needs. And we have to be really open to that. We have to be not focused on just watching what they do with that, but what they say, what else is going on around them, what that might mean in their lives that might shift the direction about how we think about the problem. So we really see the role of prototyping being a little bit more like this, rather than just being about testing and our traditional prototyping and testing ideas that we're really oscillating much more into the learning side of things. And then going back into that testing, it's really about moving around this figure eight. And that might be in the first stage of learning, as Alexandra said, based on everything we know, we take out some hypotheses. Now it's not to test whether those hypotheses are right or wrong those hypotheses can help us delve deeper into those areas of interest, those lines of inquiry um, to help us understand more. As we get those um, refined, we go into testing, we might build some concepts, we might take them out there and test them. But then again, those things will help us learn. So it's actually helping us deepening our understanding of who our cohort are rather than just about testing our ideas.
1: Um, I have a a, um, slightly different um, diagram for that. It's it's the same, I think it's uh, saying the same thing, but just in a slightly different um, uh, way, which is that what we're doing with prototyping is oscillating between the problem space and the solution space. Um, So we are, instead of just going directly from one to the other, um, what we're doing is... um, is oscillating backwards and forwards. And we're using what we know about the problem space to inform what might be a potential solution, and then using what we learn about that to go back, what is that telling us about the problem, and this backwards and forwards all the time. Um, I didn't invent that diagram. Um, I heard about it from Jeremy, and he didn't invent it either. And I'm afraid where it came from has got lost. But I would be very happy to credit it if anybody listening knows where it comes from. Please tell me. It's probably Jeremy, actually, I should have asked him. Cool. So we've talked about the fact that it's more than just testing
2: our ideas. It's helping us learn and understand more deeply about our cohorts and and who we're actually designing for. How do we actually go about doing this? Now, we've done lots and lots of different types of prototypes in our lifetime, And, and actually it's a creative exercise in itself. But there is a method to thinking about how you might go about prototyping something based on what you're wanting to learn. So here this diagram that we kind of float around quite a lot at Meld and, and we talk about this with our clients, particularly when we have clients that might want to say, let's get into something quite detailed straight away, particularly where from the digital world. But we like to look at things on a scale that's not linear, that's why we draw in the squiggly line, that's right through to maybe generative or more descriptive prototypes where we don't have much time um, or we're not really confident yet in what we're actually developing. So that enables us to develop lots and lots of ideas and to put them out in the world, lots of hypotheses and we can share them with lots of people and get lots of, and get quick feedback. Right through to kind of more immersive prototypes, which take more time to set up and a more, more investment for an organisation to, uh, to, to um, get going, right through to a pilot. And we're gonna show you some examples of things that, that um, are at all these different scales. Um, Of course, it's not actually linear. Sometimes you might move back and forth between some of these things as you're learning. Um, And if you think about entire service experience, you're not prototyping once. A service lives on, it has a BAU, an operational component of which you're trying to improve something as well. So this is where you might be in an immersive experience or even a pilot or even live and you move back to descriptive prototypes to try and evolve where you might have um seen issues in that current service um, or where you might be trying to improve that current service as well so we actually see this as a more fluid thing rather than a straight line going on
1: and we actually have some examples of most of these that we want to share with you um, and to talk a little bit about the different things that you learn from each of the different sorts of prototypes so the first slide that we have um, yeah. this is um Concept cards, I'm sure you're all really familiar with concept cards as a as a thing that you put in front of people to provoke a response that you can learn from. What we did with these ones is where there's lots of concept cards and got um, the participants to sort them into, um, no, I don't think so, good idea or game changer, or there's a no strong opinion option there as well. And so that gives you a really quick, almost a quantitative measure of the things that are working or not. It isn't the actual what bucket they sort them into that is necessarily the most interesting thing it's the conversation you have around that it's why why is that interesting to you because it's extremely unlikely at this early stage when you still have 20 or 30 or 40 ideas that you're playing with that any of them are actually going to be the idea most of them it's going to be some amalgamation or combination or something completely different that you learn about because you're exploring this with people so it's not this one got um, the most game changer votes, therefore that's the winner. That's not the way it works. But it is a provocation for you to to learn something about how people are thinking about your the way that you're thinking. Are they thinking the way that you're thinking is another way to look at it.
2: And we often use these concept cards and create them in a way that are intentionally very loose and there's not a lot of detail in them because we want our um, people that we're working with, um, whether that's our customers, our frontline staff, whoever those people are, who are going to be involved in that service or that, that that touch point thing, to be able to contribute to that and tell us how they would like things to be. So sometimes we've kind of put something that has like a very loose diagram and, and they say, what would happen in that? And we say, well, how would, what would you think would happen? How, what would you like to see happening? So we're actually almost forcing them with the looseness and the lack of detail that we have in there to contribute how they might like to see things unfold. So that's where the looser that we've got at this stage, we're actually forming, we're giving them something that's quite hypothetical and quite empty because we're using it as a technique to learn more about them. Rather than getting feedback on the thing itself, it's a it's a, it's something that helps them um, give us more information from as a starting point. Um, this, is, this is an example of how you could actually zoom in between a service experience and a touch point experience. And, and also an example of learning something unexpected. So when you're actually um, testing something and it might be that you've got a particular touch point that you're involved in, a, a sales conversation or even interface that somebody's working um, with. In this case, you can see there's an interface in here. It's really important that we test that within that end-to-end experience because you putting something new into a service, it's gonna have upstream and downstream effects and you want to be able to test those as you're going about that. If you just test the touch point, you're not going to know what the impact is gonna be until you put it into a semi-real situation. So we wanna know and learn that earlier on. So when we were testing this new system, um, which you can see here, which is a, a paper prototype with some cards, um, what we would do with the bottom picture is we would walk the staff member or the customer through this experience about how this might be end to end first. And at particular points in time, we might delve in and actually use the um, the little paper prototype of our new system to actually give them the experience of using what that tool might look like. Now the tool itself, failed dismally in this scenario, Um, which, and it wasn't a waste experience because the thing that we actually learnt was something so unexpected. We sat a customer and a frontline staff member side by side to actually use this system and do role playing. Normally these people would sit across and opposite each other. They overwhelmingly told us about how much they loved this new dynamic of sitting side by side and how much more shared experience, the power dynamic was better. Um, So we actually kind of moved aside the tool and looked more about that interpersonal relationship and how important that was to those people. So totally unexpected thing that we didn't design for, but really helped us shape our future service experience. Um, This is another one, which is a really interesting when you see this progression. And I know Lisa was on the um, speaking earlier today. This is some work we were doing with um, DTO when they were DTO, not DTA. And you can see here that we've actually got three views of what is essentially the same thing. We were moving towards a single platform for government, so gov.au. What we started out with and first went out with was concept cards because if we put, it an, inter- put an interface in front of people straight up, even that middle interface, which is sketchy, they would give us feedback on the interface and the content, not on the idea of what this thing could be. So we specifically and intentionally went out with conceptual ideas because we needed to understand what that interaction with government might be like if it was in one place, what would that affect, what it would impact, the role in their lives, Um, where government might intersect for them now or not. And so rather than solving straight into the interface, which we would get the wrong feedback for from the time, we started with the concept cards. Once we learned from that, we went into very low fidelity paper prototypes to start to think about different types of content flows and then finally into a, a mocked up prototype. But if we went straight out there at the beginning with the, the, um, the full version that was very, very high fidelity, people focus on the detail and it's not what we needed at the beginning.
1: So I have another perfect example of that here. Um, this is two versions of pretty much exactly the same thing. We were working with a Victorian government service provider to redesign their service centres, so what their actual physical service centres looks like. The diagram on the right is the one we went out with first. This was just our hand drawn. Let's just talk about, you know, stuff, what, what this looks like, how this works. And um, we got really great feedback we had people tell us things like oh yeah the concierge is right at the front it feels like it might get in the way but also you can't possibly miss them how cool is that i'm a little worried that the benches might be really close to the appointment counters and will that be you know privacy problems they, they were giving us feedback like that about how the space was used so our next iteration of it we went to the one on the left hand side we had this really cool 3d software that meant we could mock up these diagrams super quickly And they looked so much cooler and we felt much more professional. Um, But it's effectively the same diagram. And the feedback was almost exclusively about the furniture. Almost exclusively. It was, why would you have couches in that place? And are they stools? Would people really sit on stools? You're not going to make the um, concierge sit at something like that, are you? What's the tables with chairs around it? Who's going to want to sit at a table? Um, And I'm quite serious, that is the feedback that we got, not just from one person, from everybody. Just with that, like, it's the same thing, it's not even that much more high fidelity, and yet that's all that people can focus on. They're not looking at space anymore, they're looking at the things that are in the space. Um, So, yeah, we reverted back to, and even our final deliverable to them, that informed our final deliverable because there were going to be um, architects and stuff, um, people looking at not having been involved in the process but expected to design spaces, so we made it a really flat, boring-looking <laughs> structure. I actually did originally have our final version up here as well to show you, but we can look at it another time. Cool. This one is the um, this is, is from the State Library of Victoria, and pretty much we just put this in there to show that lo-fi can also be physical. So you can design um, physical spaces in a test physical spaces in a lo-fi way, like. We, when we were doing this work with the State Library Victoria, the space um, was being used as a library during the day and we were only allowed to test in it after hours. So we couldn't actually change anything. So we had, um, you know, curtains and rugs and stuff covering things and where we couldn't even do that. We just, for our testing, please imagine this is not here. And it works, it does the job. You can find out what you've got to need to find out what it is you need to know, but you can find stuff out by doing low-fi physical testing. We didn't time these very well, Karina. There's like three in a row for you and now three in a row for me. Um, this is the other end of the scale from low fidelity testing. This is super high fidelity testing. This is an actual real train. Um, so this is Melbourne's new trains that we're getting. They're actually meant to be live now. I'm not really sure what's happening with them, but um, uh, they're coming online. This is the new trains. And this is a like life-size real version of a new train in a warehouse. And we were testing passenger movement. We actually have a video to show that we'll try and see if we can yeah, should we play the, the video. The we'll see whether it works.
0: So this project was about testing aspects of the new trade design for we out on the mock-up physical life-size replica, and we got them to do a whole bunch of different simulations to actually physically test what the train was going
1: to be like in the We allocated people into groups to um, help us to tell them when they needed to get on and off the train, and with the allocation into a group, they were allocated a mood, uh, like, I'm running late, or I've had a bad day. The important thing is that this is task-based, so we give people a job to do and then we watch them do that job. Um, we don't tell them what it is that we're looking for because we're trying not to influence their behaviour.
2: Okay.
1: Most of it is really a tick box fever. It's actually quite which is things like, where were you seated or standing? Uh, Did you have something to hold on to? And then at the end of each trip, we get them to be a little bit more open. We give them two pages and just say, so you know, tell us how you're feeling. When you look at things together and understand them from a whole lot of different points of view, that's actually when you get insight. That's when you start to understand what is really happening um, and that's why it's valuable. And that's why we do look at things in many different ways.
0: There's the state government, obviously, because this is the train we're buying. We want to make sure we get it right. There's the passengers, because they'll end up with a better customer experience and a better journey. And there's also the contractor evolution route that we're working with, which will be able to help them refine their design and make sure they deliver a product and a train that we as the government want. And we've learned a lot about the network and what else we might do for trains on the network.
1: So, <laughs> okay, I'll go. <laughs> um, I was just going to say the really interesting thing about that, like that was so much fun. It's the most fun prototyping I've ever had because you don't often get to have that level of um, fidelity to test with. It's really, really cool. But I, in my honest opinion, most of the stuff we learnt, we could have learnt with the warehouse and some chairs and some chalk marking outlines and stuff. There's some things that we needed to, that that this helped us to learn in much more detail, but a lot of the way about how people move and how many people fit and all that sort of stuff could have been done um, much earlier on. And the advantage to doing it earlier on is that by the time you get to this stage, you're just double checking that everything works the way you you expect it to. Um, Whereas now it's actually quite hard to change by the time you've actually built the train.
2: And this also provided a lot of um, insight though, that if we think about the learning opportunity, goes back into public transport Victoria as well. Um, so while you were testing this, it also provided some some new insight um, that can feature, uh, uh, help them in their future projects. Absolutely. Um, So another example um, we want to share which is also on the kind of more pilot side of things but shows that evolution is we're doing some work with um, Maya um, to look at some new in-store experiences for them and you know you can see in here that there's things like a little coffee bar and um, there's a sort of a click and collect and this is quite a while ago or fulfillment hub this is quite a while ago before these things were mainstream click click and collect was really there. And then what happened is, you know, this got transformed into a pilot, which was really exciting to be able to see that, that evolution. But they went into pilot quite quickly, one, because they had the technology and they had the space. So Maya is there and existing and, and there was an organisation that were helping them out with the technology. So we just thought, why don't we test this? And we had a really interesting approach to this, that every two weeks we injected new things in the store into this new hub experience we tried them out we did a whole lot of qualitative research and quantitative research to discover how well things were working talked with staff talked with customers and then iterated on a two-weekly basis and this went on for for three months and it was incredible because what we were able to do is live try try things live with actual customers and with actual staff which helped us help them inform what this final product actually might be. And we, re- we created reports and things that actually showed both qualitative results, but also we could monitor um, things like how things changed over time. So even action happened, what was the ricochet effects of that? And how did that go if we in- introduced something new, um, like a, a, a new tech experience or a new inter- person experience, or we sent them alert before, or we gave them a link to do something? How all these things interacted together? So while it was quite sophisticated, because they had that technology there, it allowed us to learn about what that future experience might be like. And the intention for them wasn't necessarily when to go with a hub, but it was a way of actually learning more about what that retail experience might be in the future. So just a few things that we want you to um, remember when we've been talking through what we think prototyping is about or can be about and how you might go about doing it. Um, So a few things. It's about learning, not just testing. So it's not just about validating what you've got and making sure that that works, but it's an opportunity for us to really open our minds in a different way by putting something in front of people to learn about their experience and their needs and things like that. Um, If you're a company that knows a lot already, as many people have been talking about today, take hypothesis led approach, Um, use what you know, form something from it and take it out there to get some more deeper um, insight from Um, The other thing is choose a prototyping method based on what you learn, wanna learn not on what you can do. So as you've probably seen, the lower fidelity uh, prototypes actually give you a lot of feedback. You can learn a lot from them. So just because you don't have the ability to create a high fidelity UI um, interactive prototype, you actually don't need to to do it. Depending on what you learn, have fun and play with the prototyping methods that might best suit um, learning those things.
1: You will learn so much stuff from whatever prototype you put out there. It doesn't matter how basic it is, um, you you can learn something from it. So don't be worried about, don't ever try and get your prototype right because the point is it's not meant to be right. Um, It's meant to be something you can learn from. Um, Try generating on the fly with participants. So go into your prototyping sessions with a whole, here's something I've put together and based on your feedback, how about, we come up with something completely different. Do it with like that's the generative kind of um, research and prototyping. It, it works really well. Um, try not to just test the the touch point, the um, the moment in time, or the thing that you're looking at. I think we're we're all familiar with this um, in terms of um, needing to look out at a bigger context um, beyond what you're looking at. You need to test the experience and the context that sits around it, not just your thing. And primarily just be open to the unexpected. You don't know what you're going to find out. So um, don't just look for what you expect. Look for what you don't expect. Things that surprise you. It's the most fun. Cool. Yeah, let's do this. Just a little 30-second activity. Um, So yeah, just, we are actually planning, we were doing a workshop yesterday that unfortunately got cancelled and this is one of the things we were going to do in the workshop. And then we thought, hey, we can do it here too. Why not? Um, so Qantas is introducing stand-up flights, let's say between Sydney and Canberra, because that's quite a short flight. So they're going to get more people on the planes so you can stand up for the duration. And we just want you to think about what would they need to find out and how could they find that out? And maybe put your... Can we see the Q&A? We can put it in the chat. In in the the chat. chat. Yep. Sure. Um, Yeah. So just have a think about that and put your answers into the chat and we will um, see what we can find. Karina, I actually can't see the chat on my iPad, so you're going to to have to read out people's answers. As they
2: come through, I will read through them.
1: Great. And I'm terribly sorry if you can hear Captain snoring in the background. I thought, I apologise to everybody. I thought he'd wake up when I started talking, but no, hasn't even lifted his head at the sound of his own name.
2: And just to let everyone know that the answers will be saved post-conference so we can share them out. So some of the things we've seen coming through, what would, what would need to happen in an emergency? Um, enact turbulence and scary situations, which is fantastic. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Um who uh oh my god it's moving so fast. Um how close is too close, very pertinent right now. Um what if someone faints? Traveling with kids, oh my goodness, can you imagine? Um the seating structure, room for medical staff how do I drink my coffee? So important on those 6 30 a.m. flights. Oxygen marks from the top. Do they have to come from somewhere else? This is fantastic. So we're actually going to use these because we are gonna run our workshop in the future. So thank you so much for providing these. Drinks cart oh, my God, maybe we just need wine or beer to come from the camel caps. So
1: so they are brilliant. I'm loving all of them. Um, What about how you would learn that, though? Um, And that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I would find really interesting is a lot of that seems to be simulations, but I'm sure that there are ways you could do that without having a plane, ways you could find out these things without necessarily having to have a plane. So
2: we've got things like enact it in a hallway. Um, Yeah. Stand up, a card game, role play, um, watch people on the train right now because they're standing up, experiment in enclosed space, mark out chalk uh, space on, for plane dimensions, um, use the bus, it's the same. Sticulate scenarios. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. Um, hey, they're I just wonderful. thought about what about using a bouncing castle because that's like a really unusual kind of movement um, to get people in. This is terrific, I'm glad we did that.
2: Yep, thanks for being part of our our Zoom experiment everyone. Okay, so practicalities. We wanna prototype all of these things, but what does it actually mean to set up these different types of scenarios and do things? We just wanted to start with, little bit of thing it's been talked about a lot today but why we start from scratch in our research and we're big advocates for reusing what's out there one of the starting points for most of us i would say now in, in our work now is to try and uncover from different um different people what they already know but the reality is that um doing research is very comfortable it's interesting and it's fun we love finding out new things um and also we as designers and researchers can be a really arrogant bunch and we think that The people that have done it before us won't have done it as well, or it's not in the form that we need. Um, It depends on the experience and skill level of of the researcher, um, whether they feel comfortable researching this type of way. Um, The other thing is we don't know what others already know. It can be really hard to get access to previous research or other departments' research or research from another industry or another organisation. Um, and taking action is actually a lot harder. And this is, you know, speaking for myself, I'm someone that, you know, we, we can find it nice to see in this research space. However, we think prototyping is a very valid form of research and here's some ideas about what to think about when you need to plan it.
1: Okay. Um, so planning um, and running prototype sessions. So, uh know what you need to learn so that was the first exercise that we did um in in terms first question in terms of quantus and you came up with um hundreds of different things that you might want to learn or might need to learn in terms of that um so actually getting an understanding from your stakeholders as to what of these are important and how will we um how do we need to find them out what are all of the different ways that you might w- learn one thing so when you figured out here is what we need to learn it's about um, all of these things to do with passenger comfort, for example, but I actually think safety is probably going to be their primary thing. Um, what are all of the different ways you can learn that? Because there is more than one. I guarantee you there is more than one. Um, working within constraints is Thank actually...
2: that Alexandra? Um, Also try more than one to actually learn, because each of those different ways of prototyping will teach you something different about that particular topic area. So you might actually run three or four different types of prototypes in order to learn different things.
1: Yep, good point. Um, Working within constraints, I actually find constraints uh, how you will um, actually come up with something really interesting. So constraints are not a barrier, constraints are just the space in which you are playing. Um, So you give me a problem and some constraints and I guarantee Karina and I can put our heads together and come up with a way to prototype that, several different ways to prototype that that are going to teach us something. Um, You wanna get feedback from lots of different people. We have like clients time and again who bring us their favorite customers to, um, to test ideas on. Um, they like to test their ideas with their people who know them and like them. And there's actually no point in doing that. So, you know, even having that discussion about trying to broaden it to people who aren't your customers because you can learn stuff from from them um, or people who really dislike you or people who will never be your customers. What about the, the um, testing it internally as well? The risk people and the legal people and the get, get all of these people to test as
2: well and the other and important would, thing about that is diverse communities as well so alexander i know with the with the train testing you had um people with different needs um, yep. as part of that research and it's really important that we we go to those edges and we we involve those people as much as possible um, because if it often if it works for them it's going to work for every everyone so we, we we're really trying to um up our game in that space
1: we are, and actually, I'll give um, Askable a little bit of a call out here, given they're a sponsor of the conference, and they're also doing some work with us at the moment to look about how we broaden and expand um, the the people that we recruit um, recruit for for customer research and testing. So that we've got sure we've got a brief. We might need a whole lot of people who are in the hunt for a credit card, but that's not to say that within that people you can't prioritize interviewing with people from diverse backgrounds or communities that are otherwise unrepresented or there's a whole lot of different stuff you can do and so we're working with askable to how we make that our default rather than um rather than something we look at just because we're doing transport and we need to look at people with accessible needs uh and the last thing there is just about logistics on the planning side because the more you plan the more you'll get out of it and i don't even know why we put that there karina because you and i are totally the let's just try right. it and see we don't plan <laughs> so that's <laughs> something as yes, big I'm, as the
2: train one you did need to plan
1: we absolutely did need to train plan for the train one but for the most part we're fans of. and and i think paul said this earlier today as well one of our colleagues everything's a prototype you put it out there and see what doesn't work and that's how you know what to do differently next time. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: Cool. Learn from experience. Um, and just some things on running running the session. So it's really important to keep your mind open and go with the, I love it. Call it the windscreen wiper. Everything you assume that they're going to say, everything um, that you think will happen, with this thing that they might be using that you've put give them whether it's a concept card or an actual experience keep your mind open and watch out for the unexpected um, and everything they do is valid um, if it doesn't work for them which i said when we were doing this system design thing and it didn't work for them um, for you know for the first half an hour afterwards we've kind of gutted but then it was like oh my god look at all these other things that we found out through that experience um the other thing is be flexible. So be open to using that session to be generated or pivoting in the moment. Um, a customer or a, a participant may go on a tangent that you like, Got oh, let's pull out a piece of paper and let's start to draw out what that actually looks like and forget about testing the thing we came into the session with. So actually be flexible in yourself to say, the session might not run in the way we planned it to be and that's okay because we want to learn things. And the other thing is really important about listening and active listening. It is so hard when you're putting something in front of somebody that you may have spent even five minutes on, and it's not going well. This is not about selling it to them. It's really about us listening to them and their experience of this thing or, or anything to do with this um, service proposition, a touch point, and being really open to listening to that um, and not sort of saying, oh, you know,
1: really, please like it. Please like me. cool so we just want to make a quick note given the um the context that we're in nearly everything can be done virtually um actually the trains testing probably couldn't have been done virtually but most things there's a way to prototype virtually um role plays over the phone card sorting there's lots and lots of tools out there um, that can help you to do this and we've got a document which we'll share uh, we'll share afterwards and the socials but um, as meld studios, we have put together a working document that you can actually contribute to So it's our tips and tricks um, And hints about doing things and it's it's a Google Doc. So everybody can comment and make suggestions Be really useful So we just before we finish this section, we do want to talk about how to get feedback on your prototype um, and I think like this is this is the most critical thing when we talk about a prototype just remember it's the thing that you put in front of someone to provoke a response so when you get that response accept the feedback say thanks or that's a great point even if you think it's the worst thing that you've ever heard and it's really really stupid still say smile put a paste a smile on and say thanks it's a great point um, show that you're listening, write down what they say and stick it up on a um, post-it note on the wall or, or scribble it on your, um, uh, if you're doing it digitally, like actually see that they can they can see that you're making notes against what it is that you're talking about. Ask open questions. So your open questions are things like, tell me more about that. When I've been teaching people, junior designers or non-designers who are trying to do this, um, uh, how to do research for the first time, any kind of research, um, will quite often try and restrict them to say nothing more than just nod and yes and that's really interesting, tell me more about that. Like that's the only thing they're actually allowed to say because it's really restrictive but it also means that the conversation is driven by what the participant wants to tell you, not by what you um, want to hear. So let them do most of the talking. Do you want me to run through the don'ts as well, Karina? Don't answer questions. Sorry. Sorry, I think you're on mute.
2: I'm on mute. Um, have we got time? I'm happy to go through the don'ts. Have we got time to run a bit of a role play for this as well? Yep, I can see Steve um, nodding. So we're going to give you an example of this because we love doing this role play. So don't answer questions ever. Now that's going to be really hard. Somebody's going to say, How will that bit work? And you're going to want to answer a question, but you need to go back to them and say, how do you think that that actually might work? Um, don't talk about your own experiences. This is not about swapping stories. We're not in a normal pub conversation here. You said, she said, that happened to me. This is about listening to them. And the also really important thing is if they give you an answer about something, ask why, because don't assume you know why they're giving you that answer. So why is your best uh, the best question and the easiest question to ask. Those five why's come into play here. So let's play this out, Alexandra.
1: Yep, let's do it. Here's one I prepared earlier. This is a little concept that I would like to um, share with you, Karina. Can, can you see that? Because I can't actually see myself, so I have no idea whether the... Oh, you're going to bring it up there, great. So, um, Karina, this is uh, an example, like a, a little, an idea that I would like to run past you. Um, So it's the idea of seeing we're all working from home now. So Melbourne Studios has moved from having two studios, one in Melbourne and one in Sydney, to having 20 studios in homes all around the country. So what we thought we'd do is install a permanent video camera in everybody's home um, in their workspace, so wherever it is that they're working, that's on all the time. So there's no need to dial in at all. You're already there, you're already on, um, online. But it was and, all the time. Um, Yeah, everybody can feel connected because it's just like being in the office. So I just wanted to check with you that that was cool, that we're going to do that. So, cool. That's okay, isn't it? I
2: don't know. Like, um... I mean, I know we're working from home, but this whole permanent video thing, what about my privacy?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, obviously people need to agree to it, but um, I don't think that needs to be a problem. Uh, It'll be fine. We're all friends, we're all get along really well. It's not like we have secrets from each other. Um, I think it'll be fine. Everybody will be fine with that. And we'll get them to sign a form.
2: I live in the house with other people, and I don't know, this is really going to chew up my bandwidth as well. Like, I I just can't see how this is going to work.
1: Oh, we've already thought about that, Karina. We've got that completely sorted. Um, I mean, we know about technology. It's not like it's not like this is a new thing. We can sort it.
2: Yeah, well, it <laughs> sounds like you've got it covered, but I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, no, we've got it covered. So great, I'll sign you up then. So in case anybody, <laughs> so wipe that clean. In case anybody didn't realize that was the bad example. And Karina and I do this role play when we're teaching people about giving and receiving feedback, and it makes you feel really bad. How do you feel, Karina? Bad. <laughs> unheard. Or
2: I feel unheard.
1: And we exaggerated, obviously. But the thing is, a lot of times when people put their ideas out there, they think that it's a sales pitch. They think they have to sell their idea and they're already invested in this being the thing that they want to happen so they need to convince you or shut you down so that their idea still goes ahead but the other way that this happens is much much nicer and more open so let's try this again Karina um Karina we've got this idea of a permanent video it's because we want because we're we're all working remotely and we want to stay connected and the whole dialing in business and having to set your passwords and all that sort of stuff it's really confusing and time consuming and annoying so we just want the video to be on all the time and so no matter what you're doing you can see all of the other meld people and feel really connected like family what do you reckon
2: I love that you're really trying to help us connect because this is all new and kind of strange for all of us. So I really like that you're trying to help bring us together when we're we're all essentially alone. Um, I am a bit concerned about the privacy aspect though. Have you you thought through how you might deal with that?
1: Ah, yeah, it's a really interesting one. What do you think? How do you think we should and could manage that? Because that's really important. Mm i
2: suppose we could start by teaching everyone to kind of put mute on i mean that would kind of cut out some of the sound and things that are going on we're not hearing everybody else around so when you're not essentially on you're on mute which might protect us a little bit that's one way
1: okay i love that what else
2: um, maybe you can perhaps contain it to one room so we've got kind of dedicated spaces where we are working and that way we can let other people know that we're living with it. that space that's going to be on video um, and if you're in that space you're on video but otherwise we're kind of containing it a little bit
1: yeah okay that's really cool terrific what else this is great um I I think look I
2: really I really like this idea of it being we're not having to kind of zoom connect in and connect out because that can be kind of annoying so the permanent nature is good but I'm a bit worried about my bandwidth
1: yeah I wonder how we can figure out what that's gonna do do you want to test it do you want to give it a go and see see what happens
2: that's a great idea because what we could do is I can get other people I live with to watch Netflix for the next hour so there's like four people watching Netflix we can live stream this thing and if it works during with that we're, we're covered
1: Okay, that's great. And your neighbours all get to watch Netflix as well. Brilliant. All right, let's give it a go. Thanks. So, as you can see, that was a fundamentally different conversation and it's not just because it was friendlier. It's because um, Karina... uh, So, I was being more open and asking open questions and I was not answering her questions. And Karina um, was couching her feedback in a way that it was acceptable to me. So she was saying, I really like what you're trying to do and have you thought about these things?
2: So this is a really good technique when you're using, when you're prototyping with internal stakeholders particularly. Um, You can't necessarily set this up as easily with your external participants, but we do when we're looking for um, feedback on prototypes for internal stakeholders. Um, give them a bit of a briefing about what we're looking for. And it can be really helpful in terms of getting much more productive critique rather than criticism or fear about giving feedback. Should we move on, Alexander? just a few little minutes on measurement before we end?
1: Yeah, I think we might only have three minutes left. So let's do a very quick three minutes on measurement. Um, How do you measure the effectiveness of your prototype? And this is a how long is a piece of string question because it actually depends on so many so many things. Um, where you are in the process, what you're trying to learn, how confident are you in what needs to happen next? Actually, that's probably the best measure of all of them is how confident are you in what has to happen now? because no matter where you are in the process, that's actually all you need to know immediately. Just how confident about what happens now. We originally were going to talk a bit about quantitative and qualitative measures here, but um, and, and just the fact that the further you are in the process, so the closer you are to a pilot or to going live, you're going to start to want some quantitative measures, you're going to need some numbers. But early on, the quantitative measures are not going to be particularly helpful because what you're trying to understand in the very early stages is why people like certain elements or certain things and because every all of your feedback is actually about building and developing your um, product or service not about selling it necessarily so um yeah the answer to this question is a little bit it depends however and i suspect karina maybe you want to talk about this one of the key things that is really really important in um getting measures for your um for your concepts and your prototypes is actually making sure you have considered all of the possible lenses on whether this is a good thing to do.
2: Yeah, so we we tend to do a, an activity that we call concept deconstruction, but it's really just pulling apart your ideas when you're starting to get feedback that things might be the ideas that you're pushing forward to get a whole lot of stakeholders together in a room, um, people who might be involved in implementing your idea, um, external stakeholders who might be touching it. So say say you're doing a piece of development, it's the council, um, the developers, the engineers, all of these people together to really get into that detail of that concept and say, what would this be like if we built it? So we, we might know that it's desirable from a customer's point of view, but we need to understand from a business perspective, is it feasible and viable? So is it something the business can deliver on, has got the um, capabilities to do? And also is it ethical? If we put this out into the world, would it, will it create the change that we hope to create and will it have there any negative impacts on that, which is often what the implementers can help us understand. So we, we tend to do these um, sessions together so that everybody is still building a better understanding of those interdependencies and the, the viability of these and uh, feasibility of these natures and, and the positive and negative impacts of it. So they're, they're generative collaborative sessions so that we can understand really what it's going to be like to put this concept idea out in the world and whether it's possible. So um, how we actually do it, um, yeah, we run workshops together um, and we um, have those discussions together. The great thing about doing this is, one, we learn from each other. So we learn a little bit more about risk what risk and legal need, for example, what, what the developers or the engineers need, if that's who, the people we need to be involved. But also as designers uh, or as people who might be involved in generating in those years, takes the personal agenda and the emotion out of it because if you're learning that something's not feasible and viable because of a whole lot of reasons you you can actually start to take out yes we loved it yes people loved it but we need to think about alternate ways that we can actually deliver on that and often having those transdisciplinary or multidisciplinary groups in the room what they can do is help you generate alternate ways that you can then take out to test so, it's a, it's a feedback session, an ability to measure uh, or um, take a sanity check on what we've developed, but also develop alternate methods if we need to. And that's it, I think, Alexandra.
1: Yep, that's it from us. Um, and oh, apart from questions. That's wonderful. And Thank you both. Anytime, Steve. Hey, Karina, do you want to um, stop sharing your screen so that We can see Steve and ourselves full screen instead. Hey,
0: hello, thank you. So, um, I have a a host of questions here, but I I think I'll start with one from Lena, um, if I can find it. Um, She was asking, hang on, where's it gone? There we go. If, um, is there a general relationship between prototype fidelity and the type of feedback that you're looking for? If you were to put it into a model, um, is there a relationship between prototype fidelity and type of feedback?
1: That's a great question. (laughs) I'm not sure that I have a really definitive answer. Can I start? Oh, go. yeah.
2: I would love to. So I think if we looked at that that line that went up um, to high fidelity, low fidelity, the low fidelity um, will give you really good feedback at a conceptual level. So it's really looking at that broad feedback, and we would create lower fidelity prototypes that are less detailed in order to get that feedback. Because the higher fidelity prototype, you're going to get more detailed, granular, nuanced feedback, which at the beginning stage, you may not want. A need it may not be helpful. Um, Alexandra, you got anything to add to that?
1: Nope. That is kind of where I was going as well, but you said it much better.
0: Um, there's a, a question here around there are a couple of related questions around um, either choosing the correct um, fidelity of prototype or how do you convince people to prototype at all? So Ingrid had a question along the lines of um, her CTO has the preference to put a product out into the market and and learn things that way how do you convince them to prototype instead?
1: <laughs> I love that one um, And if you can put a pro- if you can put a product out into the market with uh, sort of no, cost or investment or it's a really low investment and low risk way to go about it then actually that's a great way to learn that is effectively a prototype it's just that that doesn't happen most of the time um, even if your risk is a reputational risk there's always some element with putting it out there without testing it um, one of the things that i have learned through my time working in government and in corporates and less at meld is don't necessarily ask whether you can do something, but just do it. Um, because if you don't call it a prototype, if you actually just go out and, and um, say, oh, look, here's what some users are telling us, it, who, who knows, you call it a prototype, it makes it sound really formal and official. And that's part of what we're trying to tell you today. It doesn't need to be. And I would always go for lo-fi, stuff that you could mock up in five minutes, put in front of someone within the next half an hour um, nobody even needs to know you're doing that necessarily but you can come back with some really great feedback or you can um, you can and I don't want to make you sound underhand but sometimes that's actually just the best way to do it is just do it and put the results out as hey here's what we learned
0: um, I, I I've I got to build on that yep can
2: I yeah um, so I also love talking business language with these people. And I tell you, it's a risk mitigation strategy and it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many software or big large scale projects of infrastructure or what are you gonna call it, they've been involved with where they put out the idea and it's too late to roll back. You're band-aiding like there's no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're gonna spend $400 million, um, they're better off doing some, getting some feedback On those things earlier on. Um, It's about risk mitigation and people in business love risk mitigation.
0: Mm. Um, There's a a related question around how have you managed to sway stakeholders away from high fidelity prototypes Um, and I assume the question is asking and getting them to use lower fidelity prototypes instead.
1: That is really hard Um, and doesn't, I mean, it doesn't always work. Sometimes, like with the trains one, you end up working with a high fidelity prototype. And if that's what you've got to work with, well, just make the best of it. If that's what you've got to do, um, then you can do it that way and you can still learn stuff and it's great. Um, One way, and this gets back to talking business language again, is um, just talk about it as a cost and time and effort thing. So we can do this today. Or we could do a high fidelity project um, prototype in six months' time at a cost of you know fifty, a hundred, three hundred thousand um, dollars. So it actually becomes a hey, why wouldn't we do this just now? Um, if if that's where you're at.
2: The other thing we can do, I think, and it's something we've done before, where um, clients might be nervous, is spend some of the session doing low fidelity, looking at low fidelity prototypes, and then giving them something that's high fidelity afterwards. Um, recording those sessions with permission and showing the difference to stakeholders. Um, So if they can't be in the room, actually show them a difference between the types of feedback that we get from those things, because neither is actually wrong. It's just that you're looking for different things at different times. So if you can do it in the one session, you get kill two birds with one stone and get bonus.
0: Okay. thank you both very much. appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, And I know that I'll get to see you...